You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Wisdom is not the man who wants to win at any cost. And he ends up coming at the top of the ladder and winning out other people for the promotion. You think, wow, that guy was wise. No, that's not wisdom. It's not the businessman who steps on other people to get what he wants. The guy who cuts in line and looks back and gives you that look like he beat you. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is not even the minds that sit there saying, here's what we have to do with the terrorists. Here's what we need to do with gun violence. Here's how we address racial tension. You know the saying, actions speak louder than words? This is the theme of what James says when you're trying to figure out if someone is truly wise. You'll see it in their behavior by their gentleness that comes from wisdom, as Pastor Tom will share in today's message. Remember that your behavior is what and how you live, day in, day out. True understanding can only come from looking up and focusing on God and what He has to say to you. Answer this question, are you proving to be a wise person? Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he continues his message, Heavenly and Hellish Wisdom. The philosophers in Athens would debate their their various approaches to life, and they were considered the most wise in society. But this wisdom, if it can be called wisdom, has great limits to it. Paul had to abate and demolish this kind of wisdom when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, he kind of issues his challenge, and he says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Whatever wisdom there is in the world, let's consider what they know and don't know. Let's consider how they completely misunderstood Christ and His cross and His coming. Let's look at the totality of their education and all of their experience. Hasn't God made that whole system look pretty foolish? That's what He says. In fact, later in that chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, God purposefully foreordained, chose, predestined foolish people in this world so that they could be wise and to confound those that thought they were wise in this world. Later in the same letter in chapter 3, Paul writes, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish. Wow. So that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Pretty devastating to worldly wisdom. Dan McCartney, his commentary, says, Sadly, the foolishness that we fear is mostly earthly foolishness. Listen to what he writes. We hate it when our retirement portfolio fares poorly or when we buy a car that later gets a low rating in consumer magazines, or when we wear inappropriate clothes to a social occasion. Would that we were as concerned about not being foolish with respect to God. Well, Scripture also accentuates wisdom, just as the ancients did, but Scripture roots wisdom in something that's quite unique. A wise man, scripturally speaking, starts with something the world doesn't even consider. It's not on their radar at all. And and you know it. It is the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
It's not good enough to know how the world operates, how to manipulate people, skillfully turn a reporter's question into the soundbite that you want to say. Boy, those politicians are good at that. How to outdo somebody for a promotion. You have to be able to see beyond all of that or you don't really see all that much if you want to be truly wise. The fear of Yahweh, the reverence of this one God of the heavens, that's where all knowledge begins. Until you see God, until God is put into the equation of your life and your thinking, you don't have any wisdom at all. Sorry for all the money you spent to go to college. You didn't get any wisdom from God. You have to have reverence for God. Your thoughts will run aground. They'll fail you. You don't understand the universe and the world the way it actually is. And that goes for scientists as well. The second word is kind of like it. It's the word understanding. It's an adjective also, epistramon. Actually, it's used only here in the New Testament. It's used, though, in common Greek, and it, it differs from wisdom only slightly. It kind of pictures the, the expert, the one who has specialized knowledge. You know, you might ask somebody a question about plumbing or about your car or something, and they have some general knowledge, and you might glean a few things from that person. But when you have a really difficult problem, a health problem or whatever it is, you want to go and find that one expert, don't you? That would be this person, the one with understanding. And then they would speak, and you'd be like, see, I'm glad there's finally someone that really understands and can guide me because I had a very special problem. That's what this word was used for in everyday society. It's not theoretical knowledge. Well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. No, they're able to put the feet on the ground, so to say, and, and show in practical situations, let's take this knowledge now, all this knowledge that you have, and in this situation, here's what you need to do. That was someone with understanding. So the question is, who fits that category in the churches? That's what James is asking. Now, next, please notice James reveals how we can know. How would we know? How are we going to answer the question? Well, here's how we'll know who is wise. James writes next, let him show it. Who's wise? Let him show it. It's a little different answer, isn't it? I'm wise. I'm smart. Listen to me. No, don't do that. Show wisdom in your life. That's actually an active imperative, dexatos. Show it, display it in your life. James is a lot about this in his book, isn't he? Who's the one who has actual faith? Back in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, I will show you my faith by my what? My deeds. You don't know whether someone has faith until you see the deeds. You can't see faith. You can only see the deeds that come from faith. So how do we know someone genuinely has faith in Christ? We look at the deeds. Same thing with wisdom. How do we know who has wisdom? We're not listening to what they say. We're looking at their deeds, their life. Display it in the way you live is what he's saying. That's how wisdom is shown. By the way, that's the crucial point in all of this. If you don't get anything else, please get that. Wisdom has to be shown in life. If it's not shown in life, the person's not wise. That's the point. So if you get lost in everything else the next three weeks, that is it. A truly wise person demonstrates it in life. Wisdom is not proven in fancy rhetoric or highfalutin words. True wisdom must be shown in the life of the individual. You know, every time some issue hits the news, and it's all the time, isn't it? 
We had the massacre, as sad as that was. There was the Paris thing. There's the riots in Chicago. There's what do we do with gun control? What do we do with the terrorists? You always, they always put on, no matter what news show it is, all of the, the wise men and women. I call them the talking heads, you know, the pundits. Why are we listening to them? No one asks them, how do you live your life? What have you actually shown and demonstrated in the way you live life that should give any of the rest of us who are sitting on our couch at home confidence that you really know true wisdom? No one even asks that. They don't even care. That's not in their understanding of wisdom at all. But it is with God. Yes, it is. And it should be in the church. Thomas Lee writes, wise refers to someone with moral insight and skill in deciding practical issues of conduct. How do I live here? What should I do? A wise person knows. James sounds a lot like his half-brother and older brother, Jesus of Nazareth, in this description of wisdom. Jesus was always talking about Knowledge applied, wisdom applied to life. It's even in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. That's how they live, right? For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's what they think about all the time. That's how they live. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's their functioning with other people in society. For they shall be called sons of God. How you live proves what you actually know, what you understand. Nothing else really does. We're so used to going to classes, getting a body of knowledge, memorizing it, synthesizing it, spitting it back on a test and saying, look, I'm educated, I'm knowledgeable, I'm wise, listen to me. That's all wrong. Please notice the two specifics that James points to as proving wisdom. The first specific is, let him show it by what? By his good behavior. Boy, that's, that's kind of simple, isn't it? Sounds like a parent talking to a kid, you know, Ma, be good. You know, your dad will be home soon. Be good. Good behavior. It's like a, a parent talking to the kids. What does that mean? What does it mean to be good? Actually, kalos, good, means noble. It, it, it means um, beautiful. It means um, attractive. Interesting that good means that. It's uh, the noble life that's attractive to other people, that's morally good, when you couple that with the word behavior, anastrophe, it's a word that talks about the entire manner of life. It's not talking about one deed here or there. It's talking about the way you live life. Paul used this term when he was referring to his former manner of life before he was converted to Christianity, his anastrophe, his behavior. First Peter says, keep your behavior, behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Keep it that way. Let the way you live your lifestyle be, be excellent among the Gentiles. 1 Peter 1 says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. So behavior is not a one-time deed. It's a lifestyle. You put that together, live nobly. Let your whole lifestyle be that which is attractive to other people. When they look at you, they see a kind of morality, a kind of sensitivity, a kind of goodness that other people want to imitate. They like it. It's true. It's righteous. It's quality. Do that. See, Wisdom is, is not in quick wit. It's not in how you can take some difficult topic in society and turn it into a late-night joke. That's not wisdom. If you live righteously and you live with an attractive moral life, no one will question that you have wisdom. Wisdom is not the man who wants to win at any cost. 
And he ends up coming at the top of the ladder and winning out other people for the promotion. And you think, wow, that guy was wise. No, that's not wisdom. It's not the businessman who steps on other people to get what he wants. The guy who cuts in line and looks back and gives you that look like he beat you. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is not even the minds that sit there saying, here's what we have to do with the terrorists. Here's what we need to do with gun violence. Here's how we address racial tension. No. It's a life lived wisely before God. He doesn't have racial tension in his life. He knows how to properly handle a gun. He knows how to handle himself when there's the fear of a terrorist. The way he lives is wise. The acid test for wisdom is not one's vocal cords, but one's life. R. Kent Hughes writes, being wise does not mean we understand everything that is going on because of our superior knowledge, but that we do the right thing as life comes along. And then he talks about the driving illustration. He says, some people know all about the laws of the road. They could tell you why this law is here and law there, but they don't drive all that well. You know, they're swerving out of their lanes, they tailgate. Don't tailgate, by the way, that's bad. It's not wise. But some people, they don't really know the laws, but they know how to drive. You get in a car with them and you feel safe. You know, they get you there. That's kind of how it is. Some people are wise, they understand life, they figured it out, they're living it. Follow them, listen to them. They're the ones among us who really know. Now, the second specific that's thrown in here, I think, is very powerful, honestly, to prove wisdom, who's wise. His deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. His deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Deeds, of course, are very specific things. They come in that lifestyle. They're deeds that we have to do in order to prove a lifestyle is a certain way. So we practice these deeds. These deeds are done in a certain way. When we do these deeds, these deeds show the wisdom. There are all kinds of deeds. It can be deeds that you're doing at home, deeds that you're doing in society, deeds done in church, deeds done to help people, deeds done when you're under a lot of pressure. These are deeds. But they're done in the gentleness of wisdom, please notice. That is probably what grammarians call a genitive of source, meaning that gentleness comes from wisdom. Wisdom is the source of this gentleness. When someone has wisdom, you find gentle deeds. If wisdom is in your life, Wisdom will be seen. How will it be seen? It'll be seen in good behavior, yes, but it'll also be seen in gentle deeds, gentle deeds that come from and find their source in wisdom. If you have wisdom, it'll produce good deeds done in gentleness. Now start thinking about your home. How is your behavior and your deeds in the home? Is it gentle? Because that's a great training place to find out whether or not you have wisdom, right? I know that's where some of your minds were going anywhere. Some of you are like, uh-oh, I wasn't all that gentle this morning. Well, there'll be another day where we're not all that gentle. It'll equalize out a little bit. But start thinking about your relationships because that's where your mind should be going. Now, if you're tracking with this verse, you realize that there must be some thought that's missing here. It doesn't quite all fill out, I don't think. There's some important thought that James is assuming and he decides not to fill it in. Something that he assumes Christians are going to know here. Why is it that wisdom would produce gentle deeds? Why is it that a, a wise person wouldn't have braggadocio and dominance? Why does gentleness prove that someone has wisdom? How come it's not something else that proves somebody has wisdom? And by the way, how do you get this gentleness anyway? What's he talking about? Well, let's refocus. 
on this oft-neglected character trait, a trait all of us could use a lot more of, gentleness, meekness, it's also translated. It's a very important Christian attribute. In Greek, it's the word proutes, and it is sometimes translated humility or it's translated meekness or gentleness. Dr. Varmer comments on the difficulty of translating it. He says, finding an exact definition of the prow word group, that's the word group in Greek, can be a challenge due to the modern associations that meekness often has, that is, some aspect of weakness. Athenian philosophers, he writes, used it to describe a calm disposition as well as moderation. So it was often a term that was used for something that was mild, something that was soft, like a, a soothing medicine, a soft, gentle breeze in the summertime, or even animals who were compliant to do their master's work. Dr. Varner goes on to apply this to our Christian attitude. He says, it is the lowly attitude of heart that is full of gentleness and mildness toward others, the opposite of arrogant self-assertion and of ruthless domination, end quote. Like I said, sometimes it's translated humility, but that doesn't quite, that's not quite the right translation either. Sometimes it's meekness, but that's, that's an old word. We don't really use that word all that much, and we misunderstand it. Everyone thinks that meekness is weakness. It's not. So whatever this proud taste, this gentleness is, is meekness without weakness. You can memorize that. Maybe it'll help you. Meekness without weakness. Dr. Hughes again writes, meekness does not denote cowardice or any of its parallel characteristics such as spinelessness, timidity, or a peace-at-any-cost kind of attitude. Neither does meekness suggest indecisiveness, wishy-washiness, a lack of confidence, shyness, or a withdrawn, withdrawn personality. Sometimes we see someone withdrawn and we say, well, they're meek. No, that's not it. Nor can it be reduced to wimpy niceness, he writes. Rather, meekness or gentleness is akin to tenderness, graciousness in dealing with other people. It includes courtesy. It includes considerateness in dealing with others. It's the opposite of being rude. It's the opposite of being self-assertive, of arrogant behavior, of trampling down things and not being careful of what you say and do around others. Of course, the Greeks did not admire this quality at all. They had no place for this, and neither did Rome. How do you conquer the world being meek, you know? They didn't like this quality. It did speak of weakness to them. If someone was meek, it seemed servile. It seemed unworthy. They wanted to be strong and confident and accomplish things, and that's how they understood good character. But again, I say God values this attribute. Moses was... He was praised for having this attribute above all other men in his day. In um, Numbers 12.3, a parenthetical thought we believe Joshua wrote in the Pentateuch. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. What a wonderful thing to have said of you. Paul behaved this way. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians 10.1 because they had talked about how when he was physically present with the Corinthian church, he wasn't all that impressive. But then when he wrote letters, his letters were very weighty and severe. And so he picks up on that theme the way they had designated him. And he says, now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 
I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. And then he went on to tell them what they needed to know. Gentle people are not weak people. They have strength. They may have a lot of conviction. They may be some of the most stout among us, but they know how to use their strength at the right time and for the right purpose. They don't use their strength, their position, their knowledge to show off. They don't use it to advance themselves or their position. They use it to deal kindly and carefully with other people. They are always taking into consideration someone else's feelings, someone else's position and thoughts, what this might do to somebody else. They hold themselves back. They can say something. They can do something, but they don't. In fact, you don't really know someone is gentle. You don't really know someone is meek until they have power and choose not to use it for their own advancement. Then you know it. So it's strength under control, or to say it better, under the Holy Spirit's control, right? Galatians chapter 5. This is one of the fruit, one of the, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. The one who is full of the Spirit, the one who walks in the Spirit, has the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and it goes on to gentleness. This is what Christ is molding inside of us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives, living with us, trying to transform us into Christ's image, gentleness. Dr. Hebert writes, the meek man does not feel the need to contend for the recognition of his rights or acceptance of his personal views. By the way, Moses, who was meek, had to be very strong at times when he was standing up for the glory of God, right? He even ordered people to be slain because of their making the golden calf. Gentle people are not doormats for other people to walk upon. They are able to be strong, but they're able to do it without being dominant or hurtful toward other people. That is how it should be with us. Now, if your mind's going to application, this is some, maybe some of the places that it's been going. When you're involved in a disagreement at home, that's the hardest time, isn't it? I mean, you're really disagreeing. Husband and wife, there you are, toe-to-toe or at the dinner table. How you respect the other, the tone of your voice, the kindness in your eyes, not interrupting. That's the one I work on. The care not to exaggerate another person's faults. If you're going to exaggerate faults, exaggerate your own. All of this is expressed in gentleness, kindness. You'll get much further that way. Singles, when you're speaking with coworkers, friends, a gentle person is not someone who's difficult to get along with. You have a group of singles, and everyone knows, well, there's that one person that we all have to tiptoe around. That person's not meek. That person's not gentle. Gentle people are easy to get along with. They don't raise their voice. They don't interrupt. They don't have gestures when they talk that put other people, you know, they're not at ease around that. They make them step back and wonder, does this person even recognize that I'm here? Gentle people don't do that. They're not rude. They don't speak over others. They don't talk for 10 minutes and turn and say, do you got a couple, you got something to say? Okay, good, good enough for you. Parents, you will take a monumental leap forward with this one attribute. Really, if you just master this one attribute, moms and dads, learn that whatever you do in the home, 
Be firm, yes, but be gentle in your tone always with the little ones. It doesn't matter how much of a rascal they are. If you can be gentle and consistently gentle, you will win the hearts and ears of your children. Watch how God works when that happens. There's this saying that says you can't judge a book by its cover. Do you think this applies when people look at your life and wonder if you're a wise person? Your thoughts and actions are outward signs of the wisdom you have inside, or don't have. In today's message, Pastor Tom stated that you'll know a person is wise by how they live their life. Behavior choices would show whether or not they know what it means to be wise. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Lee, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit HopeBible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. In the past, there have been many people who have stood out, maybe for something they did or said, receiving praise and recognition for good things. Do you want to learn about some people in the Bible who portrayed exactly what it means to have godly wisdom? If your answer is yes, then tune in next time to listen to Pastor Tom speak about Moses. He possessed an attribute that spoke loudly of having wisdom. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.